Trading in futures products entails significant risk of loss, which must be understood prior to trading and may not be appropriate for all investors. Please contact your account representative for more information on these risks. Past performance is not indicative of future results. If you like grain markets and other stuff, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Grain Markets and Other Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Joe Baklovic. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Grain Markets and Other Stuff. Thank you for joining me. It is Tuesday, December 29th. It's about 9.40 a.m. Central Time as I speak here today. For those of you listening on the podcast, thank you so much for uh, tuning in again. Remember, if you have not already left a review, especially on the Apple app, I could use some more reviews. So uh, if if you like the content, if you like what you're listening to, uh, please leave me a review, some sort of, of comment. Even if it's a bad comment, if, if, you, if you think I need to improve on something, uh, let me know. If you like what you're hearing, let me know. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you hit that like button. Uh, that's the biggest thing you can do for me uh, for this YouTube channel to help uh, spread these videos out a little bit and uh, make sure you subscribe if you have not already. Remember, if you need some help from me, um, as always, you can go to my website. It is www.standardgrain.com. Go to that website, click on Grain Marketing Plan here in the upper right-hand corner. For $49 a month, uh, built to your credit card automatically through PayPal, I will send you my uh, grain marketing plan. I'll let you know exactly how I'm marketing corn, soybeans, and wheat every day of the week. It's broken down by crop, by crop year, and by percentage. It's very specific. Uh, it's tracked every day. There's a text message service that goes along with that daily email. Um, you should certainly check that out. You can cancel it at any time. There's no other fee. There's no other obligation. You don't need to have a trading account. As I've told people before, I won't try to sell you anything else. I know that uh, everybody's trying to, to, everybody in ag is always trying to sell you something in addition. There's no additional thing that you have to buy here. Um, it, you can check this out for 49 bucks a month. If you like it, keep it. If not, cancel it. Uh, no big deal at all. So this is kind of the uh, episode that, that everybody with a YouTube channel or a podcast uh, has to do at the end of the year. It's like a review of of what happened uh, in 2020, and and everybody does this every year. And I haven't because this this is the first year, uh, end of the year that I've had a podcast or a YouTube channel for that matter. But uh, in any case, I'm going to run through some grain marketing lessons. This is going to be very specific to grain marketing and grain markets. Grain marketing lessons that we learned in 2020. The calendar year of 2020 was exceptional, and when I say exceptional, I mean that it was an exception to a lot of conventional wisdom, to a lot of, of the things that we thought to be true in regard to the markets, direction of the markets, uh, seasonality, a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, the, the big catalyst for all of this, I mean, was COVID. COVID was, people use the term black swan event too loosely these days. They call everything a black swan event. But it was kind of a black swan event and that, you know, nobody saw it coming. Nobody thought that this sort of deal was possible. You got to go back a hundred years to, to, you know, the, what, the 19, 1919, uh, uh, outbreak to, to get to anything close to this. And, and very few people were alive back then, uh, to, to remember, nobody remembers that certainly. So in, in any case, this threw every financial market in the world for a loop. I mean, you look at what happened back in February, March, you saw this big collapse in everything from the stock market to, uh, energy markets, commodity, pretty much all the commodities, um, 
the exception of maybe the precious metals. Um, you saw the, the grain markets collapse. We had that the big ethanol implication with corn. So there were a lot of things that happened in the spring when uh, or late winter, early spring as a result of COVID that, that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Without COVID, things would have looked totally, totally different this year. And I think that that was kind of the initial spark for for the mess that occurred and then the recovery that ensued i think that that was it and it's it's still impacting a lot of markets uh here even today so i have this kind of written out in a list like the marketing lessons and i've got six of them that i'm going to run through and if something else pops into my head while i'm uh in the process of of uh talking here then i'll talk about it the first one that i wrote down is seasonals don't always work. Seasonals don't always work, meaning seasonal patterns that we have grown to know and are accustomed to in these markets. I'm going to put the uh, seasonal chart of March corn on my screen. So March 21 corn is our spot month contract. This uh, blue line here is your normal seasonal pattern over the last 15 years on average. And what you can see here on average is that we'll start off the year... um, you know, kind of flat. And then actually, um, you'll, you'll see some strength at the beginning of the year. And and typically the last 15 years, we've seen most of our highs in the summer, like June, July, and then you would fall off drastically into harvest. You'd print lows in September, October, and then you'd see some post-harvest recovery. That's what we've become accustomed to, especially the last five, six years. I mean, you get your spring, summer strength, and then the market's pretty bad the rest of the year. And then maybe very late in the year, you'll see some sort of recovery. This black line here is what March corn futures actually did. And we started off the year, you know, we were at what, $3.70. And then we dipped all the way down to like 3.30 during the the peak of the, the COVID. I'm talking just this March 21 contract. So you never saw strength uh, during the summer, like you typically do, we saw maybe a little bit of a, of a weather hiccup type deal. And then, then we, we bottomed in August. I think it was early August, the contract, the corn market actually bottomed. And then we saw this phenomenal, phenomenal contra seasonal rally that occurred from basically early August through this morning as I speak here. So really some very, very phenomenal stuff that is totally the opposite of what you'd see seasonally in the vast, vast majority of, of years. Not only has this been a contra-seasonal rally, but it's it's been an extremely long rally, uh, uh, much, much longer uh, than we've become accustomed to in recent years. Most of our rallies in recent years in the corn market, the soybean market, have been kind of like weather related like crop scare events where you'd see a dry forecast and the corn market might rally for two or three weeks and then peak and then that was it and that was your rally and this rally is is a totally different animal um the next chart is january soybeans our nearby soybean contract pretty similar stuff um typically you'll see your strength here um you know, January, February, you're kind of sideways. We've been making highs over the last 15 years on average in June or July, and then we'll fall off on average into harvest, you know, posting those lows in early October. That's the average over the last 15 years. This year, of course, the exact opposite. That's the black line here if you're watching on YouTube. Um, this year, we started off uh, and, and leaked lower through March and eventually bottomed in that April, May time frame, And then we did nothing but rally from August through basically this week. So some really contra seasonal type stuff here. Um, the other chart I have is March 21 SRW wheat and even SRW wheat, um, the, the contra seasonal deal was not as exaggerated as it was in the row crops, but definitely not, not seasonal. This big rally here that began in the summer and, and, um, 
continues here is is really not seasonal. It's it's typical for us to kind of move lower through the end of the year, and we're not really seeing that. So the seasonals didn't work this year. The seasonals were terrible. If you did if you did any of your marketing or sales based on seasonals, um, that did not work out well for you. Um, second thing I wrote down is fading the funds doesn't always work. And what does that mean when I say fade the funds? To to fade in in trading means to do the opposite as basically. If I'm gonna if you have a trade on and you're long corn and I'm gonna fade you, that means I'm gonna go short corn. Um, typically, and I talk about the funds a lot. Typically, what you want to do, uh, in my experience with ingrain marketing, you want to avoid making a whole lot of sales when the funds are short the market, and you want to be doing your marketing or making your marketing decisions when the funds are long or heavily long the market. And that even this year would have still been good because you you would have avoided any sales back in the the early part of the year when when everything was negative and the world was coming to an end because the funds were very heavily short during that time frame, but. Um, the thing that is different about this year, and I'm going to put the uh, the fund position in corn on my screen here, the funds have been long to heavily long the market for an extended period of time, which is something that we have not uh, been accustomed to in recent years. The funds got long corn uh, in 2020 for the first time in September, uh, the first uh, long position, uh, according to CFTC, took place on September 6th, I think, or of that week. And it's it's been since September that they've been long, and they've been long more than 100,000 contracts since mid-October, early October. So they've been long more than 100,000 contracts of corn for uh, the better part of two and a half months. Uh, we haven't seen that over the last five or six years very often. That That is not, we haven't seen the fund length occur uh, for that long of time. And and if you look at the chart here, it's been like straight up, like they've been building length in this market uh, and, and there's been very little uh, volatility in, in the fund position. If you, if, if you want to call it that we saw a little bit of a pullback in fund length here, uh, in mid December, but now they're right back up to, to probably a new high for this move in terms of length. So what I'm trying to say here is that if you would have started selling corn, when the funds got long, a hundred thousand, 150,000, you would have been very, very early. You would have been very, very early. So, um, using that, that fund position was beneficial in that it would have, if you would have used this as like your only marketing tool, it would have been beneficial in that you would have not sold corn when the funds were short 300,000 contracts, uh, you know, before the rally started, you wouldn't have sold there. You wouldn't have sold. If you would have used this as your only metric for grain marketing, you would have avoided sales during uh, the last half of 2019 and, and the first nine months of 2020, basically, which would have really been fantastic. Uh, that's much, much easier uh, said than done. But I'm just I'm just trying to put this in a vacuum for you. So um, if you would have started selling when the funds started to, to build up a big, long position, all of those sales would have been early. Uh, the same thing can be said for soybeans. Um, here's the, the CFTC soybean chart. They got along the beans actually in May, a lot sooner than, than they did in corn. They haven't been short since. And this, this stay on the long side of the bean market has, has been very much extended. Uh, funds have been long more than a hundred thousand contracts of soybeans since August, since August. So a lot of people would have looked at that in August, myself included, uh, and said, you know, August, September, they were long 160,000. I would have said, yeah, this is getting pretty excessive here. You know, the last five, six years, if you would have sold beans when funds have this 
this kind of length, it would have worked out real well for you. Well, this year, uh, it wouldn't have worked out well. Uh, the wheat doesn't exactly look the same. The funds never got a crazy long wheat. They're actually closer to flat wheat uh, here today. But that's kind of my second point is that using that CFTC data, which has always been and will continue to be one of my favorite ways or favorite indicators, rather, in terms of grain marketing, uh, wasn't the best thing this year. I'm not going to say it was the worst thing either, because, again, it, it would have helped you to avoid sales when the markets were down and out early in the year during the first half of the year. But it, it may it may have caused you to make some early sales if that was your only indicator. And, and that's not my only indicator. I don't think it's anybody's only indicator, but it's one indicator. Uh, the next thing I wrote down is that FOMO is real. Fear of missing out, which I've talked about extensively. Fear of missing out is real and sometimes warranted. And in this year, the fear of missing out was warranted. Um, if you did not sell grain because you were worried about missing out, that was the correct decision. Keep in mind that the best grain marketing plan this year is as it relates to corn and soybeans, at least the best plan would have been to do absolutely nothing the entire year. That would have been the best plan for corn and soybeans Do absolutely nothing the entire year. That would have been about the best plan because the markets essentially are peaking. Like as I speak here today, the corn market's making new highs. As I speak, the soybean market is very close to its recent highs. So the best grain marketing strategy this year would have been to do absolutely nothing the entire year in regard to flat price sales. Now, that's basis decisions and that sort of stuff, and maybe there's something to be said for that, and there's some things you could have done earlier down the road. But in terms of flat price, like no marketing plan would have been the best marketing plan. So you've got a lot of people out there who are usually the uh, the the people who never sell anything and and usually uh, get it handed to them when the markets fall apart, um, you know, into harvest. And this year they look like champions. They look like geniuses because uh, the the do nothing, uh, hold and hope marketing crowd uh, was the winner this year. And that, to go back to this year being exceptional, that's an exception. That's not the rule. The rule is that you know, typically forward sales, when you make forward sales, especially in a carry market, and we did have a carry market in corn uh, several months back, typically those forward sales in the spring or summer are very good. And typically, you know, waiting until harvest or after harvest is a terrible strategy. And this year was a big exception to that. So the fear of missing out this year was very real and very warranted. And uh, there, I'm sure, will be other years like this down the road where, uh, you know, you see some sort of contra-seasonal rally. You see some sort of extended bull market. Um, but again, I, I think that that's an exception to uh, uh, what we see typically to conventional wisdom, all that sort of stuff. Fourth thing I wrote down, re-ownership sometimes works. I did a uh, episode recently about re-ownership and... Um, if you watched or listened to that episode, you know that it's not necessarily my favorite thing. I think that there are situations in which reownership is is maybe more viable than in other situations. But in this year, anything you would have reowned, given that you had made sales, anything that you would have reowned would have been that would have been a fantastic decision because we sit here on December 29th with the end of the year coming up. And the markets are posting fresh highs. So yes, re-ownership would have been great this year. And uh, again, I think that that's an exception to the rule. Re-owning uh, the, the markets on rallies is typically, typically, certainly over the last five or six years, not something that we've seen work out very well. Re-owning something after a big rally um, or during a big rally when you when you sell cash has not worked out real well. But this year it did. So if you 
re-owned corn that you sold earlier in the year or soybeans or wheat. And in a lot of situations, it probably ended up working out very well for you, despite the fact that you know, historically, at least in my experience, in my career, re-ownership in these type of markets or, or when you get an extended bull run, re-ownership following an extended bull run is is typically not my favorite thing. So that's a, another kind of exception to this year is that re-ownership does sometimes work even, even after a big rally. And this year, uh, it certainly did that. The uh, next thing I wrote down here is USDA can be really wrong. And they were really wrong. And I'm not going to say that USDA is like absolutely terrible because nobody knew what was going to happen back in February, March or whatever. But I'm going to put two um, things on my screen here. I'm going to put the corn balance sheets for the U.S., uh, the most recent one first up on my screen. This is the corn balance sheet, the most recent uh, carryout projections here and, and supply and demand estimates for the United States. USDA has their corn at a carryout estimate for this current marketing year, which which ends on August 31st of next year. They've got the carryout projection at 1.702 billion bushels, 1.7 billion. And that's that's fairly uh, a light compared to what we've seen the last several years. Now I'm going to go back to, um, it was it June? I'm going to go back to June. This was the same balance sheet in June, the same projection. 3.32 billion bushels was what they projected in June. So they were off by half. The carryout, as they had most recently projected it in December, was half of what they told us it would be back in May and June. So USDA was off by an enormous margin this year in corn. And they've made a lot of moves over the last uh, few years that people are not happy with, like these stocks revisions in September. But this really takes the cake in terms of of just being totally wrong about so many things. And and what happened here that made them so wrong? Uh, first off, the crop was a lot lighter. They were projecting a 15.9 or basically a 16 billion bushel corn crop uh, back in May and June. The crop ended up being 14 and a half. So they were off on the crop by 14 and a half billion. And that's through no, no fault of their own. They were just using trend line yield and acreage numbers. Maybe you could make the argument that they were really bad with the with the acreage in particular, which which also came down sharply. But uh the other big thing would would have been exports. Like they were pretty low on export demand. The, the, the export number has gone up 500 million bushels uh, from June till December. So that that accounts for 2 billion right there, the crop and then the, the larger export number. So pretty phenomenal stuff. But um, the, the take home here is that, you know, USDA, especially these reports early in the year that are making long-term projections, they're not gospel. They're just projections. And, and anybody can make long-term projections. They're probably better at it and they have better data than we do. But um, their long-term projections can be very, very wrong. So that was number five on my list is that um, USDA can be really, really wrong. Number six on my list, I wrote down broken clock. And broken clock kind of goes back to what I talked about um, earlier. The, you know, there, there are people out there who every year uh, hold and hope, don't make forward sales, um, that sort of stuff. A broken clock is right twice a day, right? Um the hold and hope crowd, the the crowd who never makes a forward sale, the crowd who waits till the market's already gone down, they were the broken clock this year, and and they were right. This was this was their one of their two times a day that they're right, and uh, that's actually that it's probably a pretty good analogy because you know twenty four hours in a day, so they're right. Uh, you know, like once out of every twelve times, 
that's probably about the statistic for for like when that these contra seasonal rallies work out like this the way that it did it's probably one in 10 one in 12 years maybe something along those lines so the the broken clock uh got its 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 year this year, if you want to put it that way. And uh, maybe that's oversimplifying. And there are probably people who never sell grain ahead of harvest who are going to argue with me about this. But but uh, that's that's the fact of the matter. The fact of the matter is that typically forward sales, uh, especially in carry markets, uh, end up being uh, pretty good in a lot of years, and I would say the majority of years. And uh, a year like this, where you get a contra-seasonal rally into, through, and past harvest uh, is very odd. So those are my six points. Now, the the question here that I wrote down for myself is moving forward, does my approach to grain marketing change? Does your approach to grain marketing change? Should it change? And I think my answer is no. Um, no, my, my approach is not going to change a whole lot. Uh, it's, it's really not. I'm still going to always be looking for opportunities to make forward sales at profitable levels. Keep in mind that any sale that anybody has made so far in 2020 has been bad in the corn market specifically and maybe in the soybean market to a slightly lesser extent. But but pretty much every sale has been bad. So if you did any marketing at all, it's underwater. And that's going to be the case in bull markets. It, in an extended bull market like this, um, you've been punished by, by making sales by being a responsible marketer. Um, I believe that I'm going to continue to attempt – to take the responsible approach, if that means that I miss out on some of on some of these uh, bull markets or some of these upward trends, uh, because I chose to take the more responsible path and sold early, um, I, I think I'm still going to take that responsible approach. Now, my fault this year, and I think a lot of people's fault, was that they were probably too aggressive in the beans when they got to profitable levels. Were probably too aggressive in the corn when they got to profitable levels. I just I I I try to trying to think of this in the context of like years and decades rather than just this year in a vacuum. And I really don't think that 2020 was so odd. I don't think that it can lead you to to change your marketing in like some drastic way and totally scrap your grain marketing plan for years to come because 2020 bitcha. I, I don't think that that's the approach to take. I think the approach to take would be that, you know, you know, you now realize that, um, you now realize that these sort of moves are possible if you didn't before and that anything can happen and that extended bull markets are possible. And and we may even be entering a, another bull market cycle here that lasts several years. But I, I still believe in regard to grain marketing at the end of the day, um, I, I don't know that my approach is going to change a whole lot because my approach for me personally has been good for for years and it's worked out for me more often than not, I would say. And uh, this was an odd year. Nobody nailed it this year. The only people that nailed it this year were the people who, again, did absolutely nothing, which would have been the best strategy. And, you know, being somebody who advises farmers, advises in terms of grain marketing, I can't tell people to go into harvest and have nothing priced. I don't think that that would be responsible on my part. Um, And even if I had to do 2020 over again, uh, given that I, I made early sales, I don't know that I could do it over entirely differently. There are certainly some things that I would do different, but I don't know that you can change your approach entirely um, because you've got to maintain some responsibility here. Um, Not everybody farming is filthy rich or has all their land paid for. There's a lot of things that go into marketing when it comes to, um, you know, paying bills, cash flow, that sort of stuff. You've got to make sales. Uh, and, And most of you listening are aware of that. 
So no, I, I don't think my approach changes a whole lot, even though this year uh, threw a lot of people for a loop, myself included. I hope this was useful to you. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button. Uh, check out my uh, grain marketing plan on standardgrain.com. That link can be found in the description. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, uh, make sure you leave me a review. If you have any comments about this, uh, shoot me an email to info at standardgrain.com. You can uh, drop a comment in the YouTube uh, video. I will reply to anything that you post there. Uh, I'd be happy to talk to you about anything. Happy to answer any questions. Everybody have a happy new year. This is going to be my last kind of longer form episode till January. And uh, we'll be back with a whole lot of stuff uh, beginning in January. So uh, happy new year. We'll catch you a little bit later. Bye.